Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. The setting is the courtroom. And uh, there's a group of women getting louder and louder and louder. And the case is about to start, and the noise keeps growing and growing, and finally the, the judge comes in and gets seated at his bench, and, and it continues to get louder, and he's banging his gavel, and it's just such a commotion, and they finally get the attention of this group of women. Now, there had been some incident at their apartment building, and they were all arguing over it, and it was just heated and loud. And, and the judge, being a wise judge, kind of looked over the situation, and he says, we will have order in my court, and we will do this in an orderly fashion. And he says, let me just take a look at the situation here, and he says, okay, this is how we're going to work it. We will let the oldest woman in your group start talking about the case and what the situation is. A heavy silence covers the courtroom. And we're waiting. And the judge says, I guess we'll have to throw out this case for a lack of evidence, because if no one's going to talk, <laughs> we can't proceed. And boom, out it goes. No woman wants to admit their age, even in court, especially in court, right? Um, which reminds me also of another story of a very wise king, who two women came before him with a baby, both claiming it was theirs. And he said, fine, cut the baby in two and you'll each have half. And mom said, no, no, let her take it revealing the truth about whose child it really was. Wisdom is such a crucial aspect of our life. God provides it for us. He gives us a way to gain it through his word. And the cool part about it is, is he gives us a choice. He says you can either live by it or you can live some other way. We have to make that choice. God does not force us to do this. So it was interesting, you know, I kind of, I always wrestle with titles. I don't know why, but I just do. And so I was like, initially it was like, you know, a fork in the road and that kind of a thing. But my passion and my heart is for people to understand God's truth and want to embrace it and want to cling to it. So I went with something far more simple, far more, you know, non-complex. P squared H cubed equals God's path. Doesn't that sound much easier than a fork in the road? <laughs> That's who I am. I'm sorry. Anyway, that said, <laughs> there it is. P squared H cubed equals God's path. Uh, we'll be looking at Proverbs 3:31 through 35, which, in case you didn't realize, the goal is to read a chapter a day in Proverbs. Today is June 3rd. That's why we're starting in June 3rd. I struggled with that immensely because <laughs> we're starting with Proverbs, right? So we should be Proverbs 1. I'm very linear in my thinking, but it's okay. I will manage through Proverbs 3 and starting there, but I've got to give you at least some background so we can, uh, it'll feel linear to me and feel like we're starting at the beginning. Uh, the book of Proverbs speaks to the human will and is primarily concerned with the choices that life sets before us. Now, who had to make choices this week? All of you. <laughs> um, our lives turn on the choices we make. Uh, someone has wisely said, choices are the hinges of destiny. Uh, to have a good life that is filled with satisfaction, abundance, and service to God, we must make good, godly, healthy choices throughout our lives. 
Um, that is what the book of Proverbs is about, making wise choices. Uh, the theme is evident in the introduction to the book, which begins by telling the title and author of Proverbs. And it starts out, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Um, Proverbs gets mixed up in a bunch of different ways. Um, the most common is what I'm going to present to you today. Uh, typically, Proverbs 1 through 9 is seen as Proverbs for younger people, uh, advice about life from a father who has been there. Proverbs 10 through 24, the collection, the first collection of Solomon's wise sayings, which were compiled by Solomon himself. Um, and it's basically principles of wisdom for godly living. Then Proverbs 25 to 29, the second collection of Solomon's sayings, compiled by Hezekiah. And those are principles of godly wisdom for healthy relationships. And then Proverbs 30, the proverb of Agur, uh, which is, deals with humility, righteous living, learning wisdom from observations of the animal kingdom. And then one that everybody's familiar with, Proverbs 31, which is a proverb of Lemuel, and that's wisdom learned by King Lemuel at his mother's knee, dealing with principles of godly living, and then the description of a virtuous wife. This collection of wisdom is designed to meet the needs of all people at all ages and stages of life, uh, compiled from about 950 B.C. to 700 B.C. Um, now, there's a premise here that I want us all to capture uh, before we move on. And it's one that we, we really need to wrestle with because it deals with how you're going to approach all of this information. Uh, it starts in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've got to capture that. See, we are challenged with a lot of things. And one of those things is trust. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But capturing the fact that God's thoughts and our thoughts are often very different. God's ways versus our ways are often very different. Um, you know, we look at the, the world's logic, and it, it makes sense. It, it is easy to adopt, but it's not God's ways oftentimes. And we've got to start trusting God and what he has to say. And the thing is, as we hear his words and we want to accept it, but our heart gets in the way, which Jeremiah addresses. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Love, acceptance, worth, and security is what we all need. And when those needs aren't being met, we panic. And we look for ways for those needs to be met in our own way. And the thing is, is we use our heart. And, you know, something I hear so frequently is, I don't feel this way, or I don't feel that way, or I don't feel... And that is not the way to direct your life. See, feelings can get us into trouble, because... The heart is deceitful above all things. Our heart can lead us down paths we should not, never go. Our heart can cause us to do things that we should never do and get involved with things. Um, it's just one of those challenges that we've got to learn that God's truth has our absolute best interest at heart. 
And it's coming to grips with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you're a believer here today, it's working on that relationship. I think it's easy. It's easy to say, you know, okay, God's Word says do this and don't do that. And we can sometimes really connect with that. But it's learning to understand who God is and what His heart is and how He desires to be involved in our lives that we oftentimes struggle with, the relational aspect. Now, we're designed to be relational, and God wants to develop that in us, but that's something that we've got to work on. We've got to start learning how to hear his voice, how to see his hand working around us, how to live in such a way that, you know, he begins to be visible in our life. Because when that starts to happen, guess what? People start to notice. People start to see that. And they are drawn to it like a moth to a flame. They, they, they see it and it's like, why do you do that? Why don't you do that? How come you say this? You've gone through this situation and, I mean, Kathy has had countless opportunities to witness to people because they're amazed at how she's managed to get through what she's gotten through. And that's God. You know, we, we can, all, all we can do is praise God even more because it's Him working in her life to, to make that happen, make that even possible or available. And the, the same is probably true for many of you. God gives you grace in those times of need, and you work through situations that allow you to make it. And God is seen. But we've got to start learning that our heart can't be the discerner and the decider of things. We've got to use truth, and it's got to be God's truth. And sometimes that's where the struggle comes in. Now, because we're, in, we're going to look at verses 31 to 35, that's going to be our basic text, but at the beginning of the chapter, there's, there's a set of verses that everybody's very familiar with, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Everybody knows it. Everybody hears it. Very familiar with it. Now, there's still some foundational work I want you to catch. Choosing your path rests on these two verses. Understanding where, where you're at helps as well. Because trust in the Lord with all your heart. Alright, so first is the whole idea of you've got to choose. You've got to make this decision. But it can't be half-hearted. God wants commitment. You can't live with one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. <laughs> Something's going to give at some point. And you've got to commit. Dock, boat, you know, or <laughs> water is where you're going to end up, usually. And so it's like, that's what happens to us a lot of times, though. We have one foot in one place, one foot in another place. The trouble comes, and we're the ones that end up hurt. But see, the, then the challenge is, well, I'm trying to do what God says, and look at what happened. That's not God. That, that's that not all in kind of a situation. Because you've got to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that's giving your heart to him and saying, I'm not going to let that decide. I'm going to trust you over this and putting that together with him. Lean not on your own understanding. I mean, obviously you're going to be well-to-do <laughs> by choosing God's direction and not allowing yourself there. And that's hard. It's harder for men. You know, men, we're independent. We're challenge-oriented. We want to, you know. But the thing is, is when you're choosing God's truth, when you're choosing God's best, best you're choosing the best decision. There is. So it's as if you're, you're making that in one sense. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. 
And I think that's probably the most difficult part of this whole verse. All your ways. And there's that word again. All your heart, all your ways. God wants to be that connected to us. And understand, this is not going to be an overnight thing. This is not going to be, you know, tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and go, oh, you know, every, every decision, God first, God first. No, this is a lifelong process. It's developing this. It's having this as a focus and a goal and moving toward it. And as you do that, God's able to do incredible things in your life. Because just as you're trusting him, he can trust you because he sees your path you're on his path, and you're moving in the direction that you should. So there's our foundation. There's our base, and I know it's a lot. I will warn you <laughs> on the front end of this. Uh, we're going to spend a lot on P squared, uh, H cubed. We're going to kind of breeze through because it's, it's literally just simple, basic, bullet-pointed kind of stuff where it's just here it is, and you've got to choose. But the, these first aspects, the whole idea of P squared, which is power and path, We've got to unpack it a little bit. We've got to develop a little bit because it's where we struggle. It's where we live. And uh, it's not um, as easily accepted. So, that said, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 31. It says, Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. And uh, it's interesting. I as I studied out this whole idea of the oppressor and what that meant, um, it had to do with just understanding focus. See, as, as a people, you know, we look to the people who are in power. Uh, we look to the people who have opinion that sway people. Uh, we look to people who have um, a high level of visibility. And, and our focus can be on them and they can influence us incredibly. And what happens is, is that influence, that focus, powers where we go and what we do. Now, it reminded me, I was working in a specific community, and it was a very um, rural farming type community. And um, the community was very um, focused on keeping the money in town, building up this, the community, buying stuff locally, all that kind of stuff, and trying to build up their community. And what happened was um, a computer company came in and they started buying up all of their land. By, you know, by choice, they said, yes, we'll subdivide. And they started because the money was ridiculous. And so we had people who had just acres of land that were you know, not official farmers of big farming, but you know, local farmers who had farm stands and stuff like that, all of a sudden went from you know, having hundreds of dollars to having millions of dollars because they were selling acres and acres of their land to this huge computer company. Now the, thing, the reason why I'm saying this is that community changed dramatically. Because first, industrial community came into this and started changing just the demographics of it. But then also, all of that money changed these people. Now it changed them in the way of perception. <clears throat> For them, you know, they had all this money, and, well, how do rich people act? Well, they're arrogant. They're condescending. They're demanding. And so we had people who were very kind-hearted and very giving people who all of a sudden became condescending, arrogant, and demanding. And all, a lot of the other owner-operator stores and shops that were so wonderful and loving started to close and move away because it was 
they could not compete with the demands of the new community that had moved in. And it's just, it amazed me, because it's like, I, I heard from a lot of the local people who were just like, oh, you know, someone would come in to the shop and you'd hear the, the exchange, and it was rude, and it was just incredible. And somebody who knew that person for their, most of their life said, wow, they've changed so much since so-and-so bought their land. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they, then I, they explained what I just explained to you. And it just, it amazed me. But understand, we can do the same thing. Now, I'm not talking money. But where our focus is, that's going to cause us to act a certain way. That's going to cause us to live a certain way. Make certain choices. <coughs> Excuse me. And God wants to influence that on a very deep, personal, heart level. And Proverbs is the book that you're going to get it from. So, with that, your focus becomes the power that's going to fuel where you go, how you do it. Now, that said, John Emmerich Edward Dahlberg Acton, tiny little name, huh? Says, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that is so true. When we are that source in our life. We've got to realize, apart from God, we are always going to self-destruct. But you're like, oh, no, wait, Dave. No, no, I'm a good person. I haven't killed anybody. We always go there. I love that. That's, that's the litmus, right? I haven't killed anybody, so I'm a good person. But when we're the ones that are in power, when we're the ones that are in control, we need to realize we are always going to choose self-destruction. It's just what happens. That's what humanity has become. And so we have got to trade that and put God in control. Let him have that power in our life. Let him be our focus. Let him be the one that sets our goals for us. Because that's what's going to draw us in the right direction. That's what's going to cause us to, to make the right choices. And sometimes those choices are hard. I realize that. It is not easy living the Christian life. It's just not. We have this whole other set of considerations. But it is simple. All you have to do is defer to God. And that's where the rub comes in. It's hard to. Now, oppressor, interestingly enough, the Hebrew word for that is lose. I wonder if that's where the term loser came from. But, I, uh, but it's lose, to turn aside, to depart, to be perverse. And so do not envy the lose and choose none of his ways. And so the, the idea of this was somebody who they did not follow God at all. In fact, they took his ways and twisted them and perverted them to make their own way better, to make their own way good. And that's where they're saying, don't, don't choose any of those things. Now, this whole idea of ways carries a whole lot of thought process to it. So don't, look, don't envy the oppressor. Choose none of his ways, none of his habits, his conduct, his customs, his behaviors, his traditions, his methods, his means, his techniques, his modes, his systems. None of them. Not a lot. Because just like leaven, right? Who are, who are our bakers out here? Who bakes? All right. 
So it's like we all know that if you're trying to make bread, you put in yeast, it affects the whole thing. Well, the same is the truth with these things. If we adopt one element, it's going to affect the whole thing. A habit, a custom, a behavior, a technique. And we've got to trust God on this. Because it's like, well, that's not that bad. That's, that's, that's what we use oftentimes. That's close to. No, it's either yeast or not. And if it is, it's going to affect the whole lump. And we've got to trust that. And God is telling us through this proverb, do not envy that, the oppressor, the people who turn away, the people who do things differently, the people who seem to be moving in the right direction, choose none, none of his ways. So we went from all to none. God wants all of our heart and all of our thinking, but he wants us to choose none of the ways of the oppressor. Now, who is the oppressor? We keep going. Verse 32 says, For the perverse person, the oppressor, is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. So we go from, all right, what is your focus and what is the power in your life that is moving you? And so when we are understanding, okay, that focus and that power is moving me, now we have our direction, which is the path. Now, the perverse path is an abomination to the Lord. But those who are following him are on God's path. And the cool part about that is our Heavenly Father communicates the secret demonstrations of his love to us. We've got God's ear, and he's got ours. But we've got to be in a position. We have got to be sanctified. We've got to be set apart from this world to do it. Because otherwise we're bringing the world into that equation. And God doesn't want any part of this world and the sin that's in it. He wants us sanctified, separated from that. We get to know God's mind. We get to know the meaning of his intentions and his providence better than any other people can. We have that opportunity, if you're a believer in Christ. But it's one of those things where we have got to separate ourselves from these things. So that is having our focus be on him, which will power us toward him. It'll give us the energy we need. We can do all things through Christ, right? That's the power we need to stay on the path that God wants us on. Because the one thing that is too, too easy is stepping off of God's path. It's too easy. And that's why God says, you've got to walk circumspectly, carefully. Right? My word's a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. He wants us to be, be focused on him, his light, his direction. And oftentimes we're kind of <laughs> doing this thing. And all that does is create discontent when we're looking at other things instead of his truth. It challenges our heart, and our heart is deceitful. And it can lead us, it can lead us this way, it can lead us that way. That's why we've got to stay on to truth. And the cool part about that is, is when we can stay focused on truth and what God has to say and say, oh, I feel this way, and oh, it's just everything within me wants to do this, and, but God says this, and I'm going to do this, eventually your heart and emotions will align with that truth. And you will be at peace, and you will be at rest. It will happen. But there is a battle that goes on. And you've got to trust God in that battle. 
and know that he has your best interest at heart. All right, a couple questions, then we're going to move on. First question is, your focus. Your focus is what pulls you toward your goals in life. Are you focused on the Lord and aligning to his principles, or are you focused on the world's options for living? It's a challenge. The world wants us to adopt their ways. It wants us to move in their direction. It wants us to embrace all that they embrace. But we can't. Because we're opening the door to what God does not want. Secondly, God's word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Are you using his word to guide you? Or are you blindly following the world's GPS to make your way? And I say this because the easiest thing for us to do is to let life live us. You're like, what does that mean? Alarm goes off. You get up. You go through the bathroom. You have breakfast. Go to work. Come home. Do dinner. Go to bed. Wake up. Alarm goes off. Da, 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 da. That's the easiest thing for us to do. The absolute easiest thing for us to do is just live on autopilot. God wants us to live intentionally. He wants us to live with purpose. He wants us to look at what's happening in our lives and make choices. Make choices. Informed choices. That's why he's giving us this wisdom to say, look, you've got to start picking and choosing. You've got to start separating. You've got to start living in a way where these are things that are in your life and you're taking these things out of life and those things that are over here that I want you to have, you need to add these into your life because they're only going to do you good. See, and that's where it comes down to what do you believe about God? Do you believe he's just the big cosmic meanie that's waiting for you to mess up so he can hit you with a two-by-four and go, ha! I was waiting for you to do that. Or do you see him as a benevolent father who's looking for opportunities to bless you, looking for opportunities to move in your life in such a way where you feel his presence and you see his hand and you're working in concert with him? That's possible. See, I think we, we, the mechanics of the Christian life, I think we do well with. We come to church, we're good to people, we give, we do those things. We're good with that. The relational aspect of who God is, I think we struggle with. That, these verses are talking about relational aspects, trusting enough, coming together with. I trust my wife explicitly. I know she has my best interest at heart. I know she wants the best for our family. I trust her because she's made decisions over and over again. And not so much the track record of that, but just I know her heart. She's one of the sweetest people I know. And I trust her. And there are things that, that she, sa she says to me or tells me that I go, boy, I don't see that. I, I don't feel that way. But I trust her because I know she has my best interest at heart. And she says hard things sometimes to me that she knows I need to hear and I, I've got a change in my life because they're blind spots for me. 
We've got to get to that place with God where we see God is that person in our life that he's asking us to make these changes and do these things, not so it's going to ruin our life, not so it's going to be, make our life miserable. I mean, that's the interesting thing. I mean, when I, when I witness to people, oh, you know, I, I don't want to give up these things. That's what everybody's focused on, the things they have to give up. They don't realize how much blessing there is in the Christian life, how much God provides, and what he builds into us. There's none of that, none of that understanding. Guess why? Because we're not showing them. Christian living should be joy-filled. We should be different people when we're out in the world especially. We should be such a reflection of who Christ is that people can't help but see him. Because when that happens, people ask. They see what's going on in our life and they see how we respond to it. And they're like, how did, how did you get through that? How did you do that? Kathy's had unbelievable opportunities to witness to some of the people that she cleans for because they're amazed at how can you function and she's like, oh, God powers me through this, and God's giving me the strength I need, and yes, it's overwhelming, and they see God. He shows up. Every single one of us have an opportunity to be that light, that witness, that testimony. But we first have to live out loud, and some of that's being a little transparent about what's going on in our lives. But it's also allowing God to shine through. And sometimes we stifle that. We quench that. Because we're just caught up in our day, caught up in the time. I mean, it's unbelievable how easy that is to happen. And just kind of power through it, power through it, power through it. But God's got to be seen. Because when he is, people are drawn to him. Our focus powers what we do, and if we aren't wise, we can step off of God's path. You guys look a little dozy, so. Sunny day. The barbershop door rings. Ding, ding, ding. In walking, father and son. Father says, I want the works today. I'm here and I'm, I'm ready for the parade and I want to shave and I want, all, I want everything I can get. And Barber gets busy and gives him a haircut and a shave and does all of his stuff and he says, oh, that's great. Let's put my boy up here. And boom, puts him in the seat. And he says, I'm going to go buy a tie for the parade and I'll be back. And he disappears out the door. So the barber does his work with the little boy and you know, he gets them all cut up and he says, all right, you're all good. And he's like, I guess uh, your father will be back in a minute. And so he's kind of working around doing some stuff and realizes, ooh, wow, some time's gone by. Where's dad? So he walks over to the little boy and says, son, I, I don't know what to tell you. It looks like your dad's forgotten you. He says, I don't know what you're talking about, mister. That guy just picked me up outside the door and said, hey, let's go get free haircuts. Not his dad. <laughs> While funny, that's the world in which we live in. How to get something free how to con somebody out of something, how to make someone else pay. And it's one of those things where we've got to realize that can be any one of us if we choose to live the world's way versus God's way. That was the hardest thing for me to come to grips with, just about me as a person, that apart from God, I'll always choose destruction. Because that makes me understand my humanity and what this world will do to me. Because I fully believe, I stand before you today fully believing 
that if Christ was not a part of my life, I probably wouldn't be living today. Just based on the choices I made as a younger person that were foolish, foolish, foolish choices. That's what I believe. At any rate. So power and path, P squared. I did this hoping that it'll help you guys remember. Like I said, we spent the bulk of our time on our foundation, the bulk of our time on power and path, unpacking it in a way where hopefully it challenges your heart, challenges what needs to happen. Now the easy part comes. H cubed. Uh, Proverbs 3, 35, 33 through 35. All right, so verse 33. It says, The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. What does your home look like? I'm not talking physically. But is God present there? Could somebody walk in and see a difference? Feel a difference? Realize some kind of a difference? Now it's interesting, because it's like we've got two words here and they're translated differently because they are different. The first part of the verse says, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. And they are two different words. House is baith, which talks about a palace. It's just, it's big and it's ornate, and uh, it, there's a lot to do in it. Where home here is translated as naveh, which is a simple dwelling where God resides as well. And that's the key. God's there. It's evident, it's obvious, it's clear. And so, does your home include the Lord? Does he show up there? Is he obvious there in your life? Are you aware of his presence there? Or is it just a house? Because there is a difference. Um, our, our home should not only be a sanctuary where we can sit with God and talk with God and understand him, but it also should be a missional opportunity when people come in that they feel God's presence. Know something's different there. It's an opportunity for you to be a witness and a testimony. Exodus 15, 13 talks about with your unfailing love, talking about God here, with your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. God wants to be welcomed there. He wants to be able to move throughout our home in such a way where he's reflected in everything. And it doesn't mean you have to fill it with plaques and crucifixes and all that kind of stuff. It's just having that sense of he is there when, when you're there and when people meet you. The difference between a house and a home is the presence of God. Um, is God a daily part of your home life? And is his presence obvious to you and to any guests that come in? So the first H, home. So we have power, we have path, P squared, home, Second is humility. Verse 34 says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, the end of sinners will be everlasting shame, and the end of saints, endless honor. Um, First Peter challenges us with the whole idea of humility. It says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And the challenge with humility, it's God just doesn't want us to become this dishrag. 
but he does want us to become surrendered to his will. Coming under his protection is really what it is. Humble ourselves there. And it's, it's really saying, God, you know better than me. And I can trust you. And again, there's that word, trust. Are you trusting God? It's so easy to take it all on yourself. And that's why the second part of this verse, casting all your care upon him. You know, worry just says, I can influence this. I can solve this. I can manage this. I can do this. That's what worry does. But what you can do instead is say, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to let this stuff derail me. I'm not going to let this stuff affect my life. I'm going to give it to you and trust you to work it out. And some people say, oh, that's foolish. See, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Because that's what God says. Cast all your care on me. Because I care about you. I want to worry about this. You know, my kids... They come to me all the time with problems. <laughs> weird times, weird places, weird situations. But I'd rather have them call me than struggle or possibly get hurt on their own. God wants to provide and care for you. Humility includes God in the details of your life and chooses to give those concerns to him to resolve. Uh, the scornful try to figure it out on their own and the stress and worry just overwhelms the detail of their life. Which one are you? Finally, we've got our home, we've got our humility, and then we've got a heritage. H cubed. Verse 35, it says, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. If we go back to Proverbs 1, verse 7, it says this, The wise I'm sorry, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And there becomes the challenge. See, our heritage, we are all going to have some kind of lasting message. Now, wise will be glorified. There'll be honor there. But fools, their message will be shame. And the challenge is going to be, is aligning to God's ways or aligning to the world's ways? God says the world's ways are foolish. And so if we walk in foolish ways, obviously shame is going to be our heritage. But if we walk in wisdom, glory becomes what's left behind. God's glory, God's legacy. Uh, I've seen it in people's lives, and it's It's amazing. Everyone influences their generation one way or another. When all is said and done, will your life reflect the wisdom of God and the glory that is tied to it? Or will it reflect foolishness, the foolishness of this world and the shame that comes with those choices? Again, it's all about choice. It's all about choice. It's all about choice. P squared, power and path. What are you focused on? And what direction are you moving toward? And again, there's, there's got to be a continual evaluation because it's so easy to just get caught up 
and a schedule, the day-to-day, the routine. It's so easy. And so you've got to be saying, hey, what am I focused on? What is leading me? What is driving me to these things? Is it a godly direction? Is it a godly path? Or is it bringing harm? Path. Those things are God's path or the world's path. And there's only two, really. It's literally that simple. So P squared, power and path. H cubed, home, humility, and heritage. Is God visible in your home? Are you including God in the day-to-day? Laying the concerns of this life in his hands, choosing God's instruction over what the world offers? It's that simple. P squared, H cubed, equals God's path. And also equals blessing. I mean, do you want to feel blessed in your life? And that's literally, it's that simple. God says, walk this way and I will bring blessing into your life. Walk that way and there will be chastisement. So if you want chastisement, opt other ways. If you want blessing, choose God's path. But the most important aspect of this that you need to realize is the choice is yours. There's no one else that you can point to and say, oh, they and her and she and him, every single one of us is responsible for the choices we make. And God's going to look to us when we're before him and say, how did you choose? You can say you you chose wisely or you chose foolishly, but the choice is up to you. Pray with me. Father, we are humbled. Humbled by your word, humbled by the way you work in our lives, humbled by your truth. Lord, it is so easy to just start making choices and start directing our lives in such a way that it moves away from you and it moves independently from you. But Lord, we need to be conscious about the day-to-day. We need to be conscious about how we're living and just what goals we have and where our focus is and what moves us towards those things and what path we're on. Father, I ask that as we walk out of here today that we will remember this, not for my sake, but Lord, because your truth will move us toward you and closer to you and enable us to do great and mighty things, even in our generation. Father, you used 12 men to change the world. You certainly can use this room full of people to impact central Massachusetts. Father, we love you. We thank you because, Lord, you provide everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. You've even written it all down so we don't have any excuse. If we can't remember it, we at least know where to find it. That's in your word. We cherish your word, Lord. We cherish your love and care and compassion toward us. Lord, use your spirit to remind us of these truths so that we can impact this generation for Christ. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Enjoy the sun and the heat. I know I am. Have a great week.